Hi there, this is Jacob Msipa, the senior pastor of Builders Church. I just want to thank you for taking time to listen to our podcast today. And I trust that it will bless and build your spirit. Enjoy the message and God bless you. This is the new term, Bazalwane. We are beginning a new term and it means a new theme or a new series that we um, are going to. What a term we had. It was so hectic and so busy. I felt so tired. I am still a bit tired. Um, You know, it's just that, you know, everyone keeps on telling me I need to rest. And I say I'm not safe in South Africa if... I want to rest. My true rest is somewhere overseas where the time difference is so significant that when South Africans are sleeping, I am awake. And when I am awake, South Africans are sleeping. But if I'm local, Pastor G and them will be calling, WhatsApping, and doing all sorts of um, crazy things. But what, a, what an awesome um, time we had. And of course, our highlight, the purchase of the Pinoni building, and we do believe that soon we will um, purchase or get one by the grace of God for our Hillcrest um, campus. <laughs> Pinoni campus started in 2019 and um, 2023. We, we, we have a property, so we are also two years old. I mean, you know, God can do it lesser. It, it took Delmas. More than 10 years. It took us 12 years to have our first building, um, which back then was 3.6 million rands and um, Pinoni 5. So maybe we'll get... Oh, wow. <laughs> you guys are brave. <laughs> and, it, it, and it'll take less than four years, right? Yeah, so... We are trusting God uh, with raising that property fund through the Builders Property Trust. Um, um, and just to assure you, the trust that we registered, Bazalani, the Butlane Christian Center Builders Church is the sole beneficiary of the trust. So don't think it's a family trust. It has got nothing to do with us. The church is the sole beneficiary. And we are just trustees um, with the other directors as well. And my wife and I are not the only trustees and we do even have an independent trustee who is not part of this church, just to make sure that uh, everything is going to be done uh, in order. Amen. So we're trusting God just to raise, to keep on raising money so that by the time the time comes to purchase another property, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just, can we imagine if we get into a season where we don't even have to, you know, we just say, okay, that's available. Let's, let's, we like it. So let's just buy it. Amen. Uh, we are asking the price because we want to pay. Hallelujah. So new term, new theme. And our theme for our last term of the year is found in John chapter Number one, where the Bible talks about Jesus Christ full of grace and truth. So our theme will be grace and truth uh, for, 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 for this term, which is the last term. We said this is the Jesus year, right? 
This is the Jesus here. So we are still on that tip of knowing Jesus, knowing him, who he is and what he has done. We want to just take advantage of this year to make sure that we get closer and closer to him, especially in, in, in knowing who he is and what he has done um, for us as his people. So our, don't worry about, you know, if I say it's going to be the theme for the whole term. Do you mean from this, are we going to be just talking about grace and truth for the whole term? Let me promise you, it's going to be good. You don't want to miss any of it. Amen. You don't want to miss any of it. I promise you, it's going to be good. I have quite a lot of ground to cover. I pray that uh, we are going to be attentive, try as much as possible to write down. But if I were you, I was just going to listen more and then maybe make sure that you are going to download the podcast, then take notes. Because today I'm just going to say quite a lot of things. And if you're going to try and write everything, just write the key points, right? Um, but don't try and write everything. Uh, just download the podcast, listen to it so that you can then get all the necessary notes. Amen. Let's go to the book of John chapter number one. John chapter number one. It's a very popular scripture. We know that from verse number one, it talks about in the beginning, there was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and so forth and so on. And in verse number 14, in verse number 14, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Listen, and then it says, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus, as the word that proceeded from the mouth of God, the Bible tells us that when he dwelt or tabernacled among us, he was full of grace and not grace alone, but also truth. And then in verse number 17, it says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Man, this is going to be good. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that you speak through my mouth, think through my mind. Give us understanding, oh God. Put everything into perspective for us and it is in Jesus' name that we pray and the people said, Amen. If you've been a Christian for quite a while, you will agree with me that the subject of the law and grace, the law versus grace, which many, you know, tend to describe it in that way, or any kind of doctrine around it has become one of the most controversial topics in the body of Christ, especially in the 21st century church. Both leaders and believers alike 
are always at loggerheads when it comes to this subject of the grace of God and the law. If you don't know what I'm talking about and you don't have a clue what I'm referring to, blessed are you because then it means you are going to be properly equipped by the time you get to be exposed to anything related to this topic. Because what I know is that it has become one of the banning topics, banning issues in the body of Christ. And many of us as pastors panicked in one way or the other because of what many began to say in the corridors and many people jumped into their own conclusions when it comes to this topic. And I'm kind of hoping that as we engage more, you know, around this topic, we are going to come out of it with a well-balanced doctrine. Now, it will not just take one message to give you the full context or perspective when it comes to this topic. So I'm encouraging you not to isolate any of the sermons or the messages that we will be preaching, but I'm going to encourage you to take each one of them because all of them will be playing a significant role in trying to put everything into perspective away together. There are mainly two camps when it comes to this subject of grace and the law. And, and there's one camp, if we may call it that, that will cringe at the mention of the word grace. And there's the other camp that will cringe at the mention of the word law. And this is mainly because we have seen two extremes on both sides. Those who are mainly teaching about the grace of God or the New Testament are seen as promoting sin. They are seen as promoting sin that if you're going to be talking about the grace of God, putting emphasis on the grace of God only, then you are giving people a license to sin. Number two, those who are mainly talking about the law or they are even preaching or teaching from the Old Testament, that is, are seen as promoting legalism. As soon as you open a scripture, or if I'm going to preach and I open Malachi, the other gang will say, nah, we are no longer under the law. We are under grace. And as soon as you talk about the grace of God and you teach more on the Old Testament, the other gang will say, hey, you are giving people the license to sin. So we've been loggerheads from both camps and we're hoping that this will be the beginning of putting many things into perspective. Are we together? And many of us as preachers and teachers, we, we, we also have struggled to accurately communicate the revelation around this subject and our understanding of it. 
it will always come across as unbalanced. If I happen to talk about the grace of God, it will always come across as if, you know, like I said, I'm promoting sin um, simply because we don't take time to truly teach on this in a balanced way. And, 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 and this happens, we have these two camps uh, for two main reasons, two main reasons. The first one, is the lack of sound doctrine. Lack of sound doctrine. You know, these days, anyone is free to just simply come up with any teaching, introduce any new teaching without, in the secular world, they will use the term peer review. We, we are no longer practicing what we saw the first century church do if you study the book of Acts, for an example, chapter number 15, uh, you will hear of some of the disciples who began to preach that you cannot be saved unless you are circumcised. And the other apostles heard of it. And, and take note of what they did. They took that the Bible tells us that they took it to the apostles and elders to say, hey, we, we've been teaching that we are saved by faith, but there are others who are saying, unless you are circumcised, like literally circumcised, then you can't be saved. And the Bible says they, the elders and the apostles had to go through that particular doctrine. I'll explain just now what that is and bring perspective to it and correct them. And they wrote a, an official letter to apologize to those who were taught that and they were already practicing it. And to also correct those who were teaching it. But we don't see that in the body of Christ these days. Anyone is just simply to wake up with a revelation, post on Instagram or Facebook and begin to teach a particular doctrine without subjecting it to any leader who will scrutinize it, go through it, and correct it if there's error in it. And that's why we are having so many problems today in the body of Christ. Because we no longer want to be accountable. We no longer want to be corrected. Whenever we are talking about the topic of spiritual fathers and everything, people don't want it. Why? Because they don't want anyone to hold them accountable. To say, hey, what is it that you are teaching? Where did you hear that from? Who taught you that doctrine? That's why if we notice in the early church, as early as chapter number two of the book of Acts, because that's where the whole church thing started. As early as that, the Bible says, even when disciples were meeting in their houses, the Bible says they committed or devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? They took what the apostles were teaching them and then they used to dissect it. Not come up with their own things. It had to be subjected to correction first. In other words, you are not going to wake up and say, God has spoken to you about something that was never tested before. Because today people are free to, I mean, there's content for days in the internet. Anyone is free to download anything from anyone. 
and listen to it. And let me tell you, the greatest tragedy that can ever happen in your life as a believer is to be in one local church and follow a doctrine that you've downloaded from the internet. That's the most tragic thing that can ever happen. I will advise you that if you are not comfortable with what is being taught in your local church, change it. Change the church until you can find one that you can be comfortable with what they are teaching you and apply it in your life because God sends you to a local church for a specific reason. So if there's something or if you need clarity in anything that I have said and you are not comfortable with it, you don't understand it. I won't take offense if you come to me, knock on my office, make an appointment, give me a phone call and say, Pastor, when you said this, what did you mean? Because even when it comes to God himself, he's going to hold me accountable on everything that I have taught you. So by the time I come and stand here, I have had to check myself and I've gone through... uh, Being discipled, being mentored, being fathered. And by the way, I have a theological qualification. (laughs) Just by the way, if you are wondering, just by the way. So I don't just wake up and just come and preach and teach here. Just anything that's untested. Daniel says, I understood through books. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And it is my responsibility as the steward of the mysteries of God to make sure that each time I stand here to preach and to teach, I know what I'm talking about. But what am I referring to when I'm talking about doctrine? What am I referring to when when I am talking about doctrine? Doctrine is simply, or that word simply means teaching or instruction. It is an instruction that we are given around a particular subject. So there's doctrine on faith. There's doctrine on God. There's doctrine on Satan. There's doctrine on demons. There's doctrine on angels. So, so each time you, you want to engage in any particular subject in the Bible, you have to find the right doctrine around it so that you don't just guess and talk about angels in a manner that it is not revealed from scriptures. There's something that funerals are interesting. You know, when we are in funerals, we are so emotional that we stop thinking. especially if you've lost your loved one. So you want to say all the right things that are befitting, even when we violate scriptures. You will be in a funeral and hear somebody say, especially if a child has passed on, somebody will say they have passed on to become an angel in heaven. Where do you get that? It's nice to say. It's a very beautiful... Oh, you know, but, but the scripture... There's nowhere where the Bible says that children die to go and become angels in heaven. There's nothing like that. Angels were created by God. And as we speak, they are not added. It's done. 
there's, there's, there's like enough angels for until Jesus comes back. And some of them were kicked out of heaven. And they were never replaced. So we've got to know the, the, the correct doctrine around any subject. And this is what I'm talking about when I say uh, sometimes the lack of sound doctrine makes us to be too excited and start talking about things that are unchecked, untested, because we felt goosebumps at that point and we were so excited. It sounded right. But and, and you, you don't know the struggle that we have as pastors when you are sitting down during a funeral and people are during their speeches saying all of these things and you have to stand up and preach at the end. You're like, wow. <laughs> do I correct them or do I just preach? Because sometimes we, we, we hear things and I'm like, mm, Jesus, where do you get that? And, and sometimes, you know, you know, as let me, let me tell you this and, and you will forgive us as preachers, you know, at least hear it from me that sometimes when we are up here and we are talking, it feels good. Man, revelation is flowing. And sometimes there are things that you think about as you are standing here. And if you don't study, there will be something that will drop in your spirit which will not filter through doctrine. And you will say it as raw as it is and realize later that you were wrong. Yeah, I don't blame pastors who will be sitting and be like, I'm more gifted than God, right? It's, hear me, hear me. It has got nothing to do with him being right or wrong, but it is a moment where you sensed something deep that you had to communicate, but because you did not have theology and doctrine around it, you just expressed it as raw as it is. And by the time you find out that it has caused a stare, then there's no humility to come and say, here's what I meant. So that you can put everything into perspective. That's why the Bible talks about the Berean church that each time somebody preached, they went back home to search the scriptures to check whether what they were taught was true. But the church of today, we just absorb anything and everything because somebody was loud, because we were screaming, standing up on our feet, clapping our hands, and we are not checking doctrine. We're following churches, you sign. <laughs> I connect form without going through our tenets of faith. What do we believe in? Sometimes you'll become a member of a church and discover later that they believe in Satan. Yeah. So even in this church, on our website, there is a list of the tenets of our faith. Here's what we believe in. <laughs> I love the last one, especially on that one. I will not tell you what it is. I'll just leave it up to you. And... The basic goal of studying doctrine, number one, it is to give us an orderly understanding of basic biblical truth around something. Number two, it is to ground us in our faith solidly upon the word of God so that you will be grounded, not tossed to and fro by any wind of doctrine. You will know what you believe in, be grounded and be rooted so that if somebody says anything, 
contrary to that, no matter how moved they were, you are not going to be moved because you know what you believe in. But as long as what you believe in is based on the word of God, you don't just believe in something because you are just adamant to believe in it. There are many people today who do not consider doctrine when they are learning or teaching a biblical principle. The Bible talks about it, 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. We live in such a generation where people will just simply not listen to truth, but they will just follow people because what they are saying is exciting to their soul, to their spirit. Are we here? Caring less about sound doctrine. Titus chapter number one, verse nine says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, that's what the Bible says, to both exhort and convict those who contradict. So as a believer, I need to make sure that I have or I am learning, or I am following sound doctrine, so that if there's anyone who contradicts, I will be able to exhort them, not emotionally, but through truth. I'm not going to be emotional about it, but I'm going to sit you down and take you through the process of why do I believe in what I believe in. Are we still together, Musne? Titus 2 verse 1. But as for you, Paul says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Should it happen that you get a chance to come and speak here at church, standing here in the front? Paul was simply saying, make sure that you speak things that are proper for sound doctrine. Because one day, even as your pastor, I'm going to be lost and ask you, what did you mean by that? Don't tell me the spirit led me to say it. Because the spirit of God does not say anything that is beyond the truth revealed in the Bible. I always tell people the safest prophecy is Bible prophecy. That's the safest prophecy ever you can get. The one that agrees with scripture. If I can't connect your prophetic word to the word of God, I'll keep on praying over it. Until I find that revelation. Because everything, let me tell you, everything that God will ever want to say in us, he has already said it in the Bible. Everything that God, that's why the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that God will ever want to say to us, he has already said it. That's why the Bible says everything that we need is in the Bible. It's in the scriptures. It's in the word. Amen. So we need to be lovers of the word. As you know, if there's one thing that the charismatic church needs is the word. Man, we are good with everything else. Man, look at us. I mean, we are, we are, look at our hairstyles. Look, I mean, look at our projectors, our lights. Look at our sound. I mean, look at us. But if there's one thing that we need to go back to is the word of God. Because as charismatics, we know how to have good church and, and disregard the word. 
So there has got to be that restoration of the word of God or of the truth. Amen. The second reason why do we find ourselves in this whole controversy that lacks balance? Second reason is biblical hermeneutics. Now, I said to us, we need to go back to the word. Right? But, but without biblical hermeneutics, what do I mean by that? Hermeneutics is simply the art and the science of interpreting the Bible. The science, you can't just interpret the Bible because of how you feel that morning. You know, you read a verse and then you run with it. Hermeneutics helps you to interpret the scripture by first of all observing the rules of interpreting the Bible. And the golden rule, if I were to give it to you, there are many others. There's contextual, there's first mention principle and so forth and so on. But the golden one that I can give to you, let scripture interpret scripture. Okay. Many of us would like, what was that? Let the Bible interpret the Bible. So if you want explanation on a biblical principle, don't go to a book or a sermon. Go to the Bible. Find another verse that will further explain to you what God meant with another verse. And don't jump to any conclusion. Yes, you can read other books to give you understanding, but be guided by the word of God. The Bible says, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing shall be established. Now, we've seen people who take one verse out of context because it said it in one line and did not, and, and violated, for an example, the complete mention principle. What does the complete mention principle? It simply means I'm going to check every verse in the Bible that talks about this subject before I jump into any conclusion. I'll give you one example. I'll give you an example. The Bible says, do not call anyone your father. There's a verse where Jesus says that. Do not call anyone your father, right? And I've seen many people taking that verse, violating it. To say, yeah, especially when they're trying to say, criticize the principle of spiritual fathers. They're saying, no, the Bible says, don't call anyone your father. How wow. (laughs) You see? Hermeneutics is a problem there. It has got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It has got nothing to do with the anointing. It has got nothing to do with how powerful you are. You've just violated hermeneutics. Complete mention principle. To say, look at other verses where God talks about fathering. Because then that would mean Elisha was committing sin when he was calling Elijah his father. Then it means Paul was committing sin when he was calling Timothy his son. Right? It means you've been committing sin since you were growing up calling your biological father your father. I always tell people, especially me as a black person, try and call your father by his name. Let's see what happens. And, and tell them that the Bible says don't call anyone by your... Just, just, just put a verse in it and let's see what's going to happen. You know, first you look at other verses and, and then come back. If they contradict, they look like they contradict, then investigate why did Jesus say this here? Then you will understand that there was something. I mean, it was Jesus that when another man came to him and said, good teacher, 
And he said, don't call me good because there's only one who is good, my father in heaven, right? It is the same Jesus in John chapter number 10 who says, I am the good shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before you say, no, you can't say that a person is good because he said there's only one who is good. Before you jump into that conclusion, look at other verses. And then after you've done that, go back to that one and say, why does this one then look like it is contradicting? And then what do you do? You read the whole chapter. When you read the whole chapter, you get the context. What did he say before he said what he said? And what did he say after? The problem is that with us charismatics, we are one verse people. Sometimes we quote verses that we've never read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear somebody says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. If many of us, I can ask you, where is that verse? We've never seen it. Is it in the Old Testament or New Testament? We've never seen it, but we've heard it being quoted and we are running with it. No weapon formed against me. What, what are the words before that? What are the words after that? We, we need Jesus. Like in the true sense of needing Christ. We need him. <laughs> so we need to, and the Bible puts it this way, uh, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 15, study to show yourself approved unto God. Study. Another translation says, be diligent. Kutalela ukfunda. Kutalela to study the scriptures. Dig in. Study. Know the word. Dig in. Be filled with the word. Study it. Not, not, not because of the sermon or anything. Just be the student of the word and take note of the rest of the scripture. It says, show your, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. How do I do that? By studying the word. Study the word. Don't just rush to, to be a preacher. Study the word. Be the student. Don't just you know, rush to be quoting scriptures all around. Don't, don't rush. Don't study, study to show, the Bible says to show yourself approved. So can it be that there are many people who are preaching, but they are not yet approved? So he's speaking on behalf of God and they say that says the Lord, but they have not studied the word. In your library, there's not even a single book. If you have books, they are only devotional. They are not doctrinal. They are not theological. They are not giving you anything solid so that you can be, you know, studying theology, for an example, is not only for pastors. Any Christian, any Christian, you can just go, just study and just so that you can know what you are talking about. Even if, let's say for an example, you are saying to me, but I can't go to varsity or anything like that's fine. You know, but buy the correct books. There's a book you can buy that, that is, you know, basic theology. It can just take you through the process of, so that you can be a rooted. <laughs> that's why, you know, Christians, we are very funny people. We are afraid of studying. We are afraid of classes. When you mention the word class, I was bambezela. Sfuna. Inkos. Sfuna. 
ila masia sifuna ikula masaya he sifuni ndio ngapezu study 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 because even the holy spirit comes to confirm the word revelation 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 let me tell you the holy spirit does not reveal where there's emptiness revelation is exposing what's hidden so when you study you are hiding the word in your heart that's why david says i hide your word in my heart so that i may not sin against you so when you are studying you are simply hiding the word even if i don't understand at the moment i'm just hiding it in my system I'm just put it then when the holy spirit comes he takes the word puts it into perspective for you at the right time at a given time when you need it so when he comes and there's nothing then you will start hearing things yeah god said who and 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 people expect us that when because you said god said then ooh, then it's gospel truth no 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 i'm not one of those if you come to me and say god said you better know what you're talking about because i'm going to ask you how did you i mean where does that come from show me a verse at least that can confirm that what you're talking about is from god am i offending you so let us be lovers of the word so that we don't end up in these different kind of controversies tossed the bible says so that we may not be tossed to and fro by any wind of doctrine today you believe in this tomorrow you believe in that the next day you believe in this he is it's almost like every it's like god is confused himself and the bible says he is not the author of confusion but the way that we are treating god and christianity these days it's as if we are serving a very confused god who keeps on revealing things that are contradicting himself and his word one of my favorite authors uh, kevin j corner says at the root of our doctrinal differences it is hermeneutical difference because people use different things to interpret scripture it's like where how how do you get to interpret that verse in that way and and the bible is a very technical book one word can throw you off as why in your studying etymology as well is 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 very is very key what is that this <laughs> Yeah you you need to you need to develop a habit of studying words what do they mean especially in their original language because for an example in english the bible will always say love only to find that in the original language it's talking about different kinds of love so you'll apply the kind of love in a different context and it will take you off so it's very important to no what if for the scripture that i read in another translation it says be diligent to show yourself approved in another translation it says study to show yourself approved. so if you don't like studying you will never come into contact with such technicalities that will add a twist to your interpretation so take time and be diligent study different translations get a concordance 
I started studying those things before I became a pastor. So don't say, no, it's because you are a pastor. No. I started doing it before I even knew I was going to be a pastor. I just loved the word because I said, I've just found this newly found faith. I have to study it and explore it so that I can be able to give account. Why do I believe in what I believe in? <laughs> hey. Now, because I don't have time, let's, let's, let's look at this, Bazalan. Here's the peril of... A, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not sure how am I going to behave from now going forward. Uh, Just just forgive me in advance. Hello. Now, as I said earlier, Bazalwane, the the issue here about this whole controversy around the law and, and the grace of God revolves around extremes on both sides, on both camps. There's an old saying that goes like this. Access of anything is not good. Right? Access is an amount of something that is more than necessary. More than permitted. More than desired. Once you have, you, 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 you will have to overemphasize something. Over explain it. Then it's necessary. That's where then we end up, you know, when you want to go beyond the word to try and qualify the word. That's when we'll end up then, because then we are going to extremes. We are going to give something in excess. That's why even medication, when it is supposed to serve you good, uh, doctors will tell you of the right dose. And if you go beyond that dose, you might end up getting sick and it might even kill you even though it was supposed to be good. So, so are biblical doctrines. Sometimes we, we, once we start putting emphasis, more emphasis than it is necessary, then we'll start coming up with, because we are trying so hard to try and convince people that this is right. And then you come up with loads and loads and their word is somewhere there. And you came up with 99% of... <laughs> And the word is hidden somewhere there. And by the time we say, let's go back to what the Bible says. Let let me show you this. Uh, Forgive me for what I'm about to say. I I apologize in advance. Let's read this scripture together. And be not... Let's read this scripture together. What's wrong? And, And... And... Okay, one, two, three. Take note. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, right? Why? Because in it, the Bible says there's excess, right? So in other words, when you are drunk with wine, you are going to go beyond the normal, normal, normal sea. Normal, yeah, yeah, normality, right? You, 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 you will go to excess, right? That's why the Bible says avoid it. Relax, calm down. I'm not, I'm not going to be talking about whether it is right or wrong to drink wine. Relax. 
Let your gut down. Let your gut down. Let your gut down. I'm not about to do that. I'm not about to because <clears throat> you are like <clears throat> pastor. I'm not about it. Maybe one day I'll do it, but not today, right? Not today, right? So, so it says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, wine in the Bible. Wine in the Bible. Now, the Bible is very, there is, there's a reason why God will just hoi in things because he's not just addressing that particular thing. He's addressing quite a lot of things. Let me tell you this. Now, wine in the Bible, uh, Pastor Tati speaks of Doctrine. I know that sometimes we say it speaks of joy and everything else. But wine in the Bible speaks of doctrine. I'm going to qualify it in just a moment. That's why I always discourage people from saying they are drunk with the Holy Spirit. That's why I said I apologize for, for what I'm about to say. That's why I said it. So you've forgiven me, right? Why, why am I discouraging people from saying they're drunk with the Holy Spirit? When the church was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in the book of Acts chapter number 2, the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in other tongues, right? They went out to the streets speaking in other tongues. The Bible says people heard him speak in their own languages. And, and one of them said, these are drunk. Right? Peter did not say, yes, we're drunk, but drunk with the Holy Spirit. He says, no, these are not drunk. So the Holy Spirit does not intoxicate. Okay. Um, So wine speaks of doctrine. Now, you will know that when we are talking about wine, there is fermented wine and there is unfermented wine, right? Fermented wine speaks of bad doctrine. This is the one that intoxicates. Unfermented wine speaks of good doctrine. So it's, 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 it's grape juice that has nothing in it that will intoxicate you. Now, Matthew 16, verse 11. So the fermented wine is unleavened. You know, let me bring it to that context. Because you know that grapes can be fermented as well to become wine. Just as a side note, the, 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 the wine, the wine in the Bible had no alcohol content in it. Because alcohol, you get it from the laboratory. It was just fermented wine. 100% of which can kill you. Right? Just a, just a drop. You can collapse. So that's why when in the, in the wine, when there's 7%, it does not mean in that bottle there's 7% alcoholic con- content. It simply means it's, it's in a volume. They've put liquid probably in a thousand liters and then put 7% alcohol there and then poured it into a 750 ml of bottle. <laughs> but the one... <laughs> That's a story for another day. But, but, but 
fermented wine, you know that when, we, we, when, when you want to speed up the process of fermenting something, you will put yeast in it. So that's why the Bible will speak about unleavened bread. When you are going to, especially during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you are not allowed to use yeast to fast track the process to put leaven in it, right? Listen to what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 16 verse 11, I'm going to close in just a moment. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of their leaven. What is that leaven? That yeast that causes fermentation. That fermentation that will cause you to be intoxicated. Right? Then in verse number 12, he says, then they understood that he did not tell them to be to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he was addressing them to say, be careful of what these guys will come up with in terms of their teachings because it is like leaven that will end up because of the lies and the deception in it, the extremes in it, it will intoxicate you and cause you not to think right around a particular subject. You will realize that the Sadducees had their own beliefs, the Pharisees that had their own beliefs that were two extremes, by the way. Right? That's a story for another day. So wine, whenever the Bible, that's why the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, talking about Babylon. It says Babylon has fallen because he has, she has caused many to drink from her wine. Right? Babylon, which is religious confusion. So if there is a religious system that is feeding you with wine, it will end up intoxicating you to produce certain religious beliefs that are not balanced. When you are drunk, for an example, how do we know? You lose balance. Instead of walking straight, you start walking this way. And that, that's how we, that's why even in the US, when they test you, uh, 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 if you are drunk or not, and they don't have the breathalyzer with them, they will just say, walk in a straight line. In a, and, and if you can't, then they confirm that there's a reason for them to go and test you that you are drunk. Are we here? So even with us, with the things of God, whenever there is a doctrine that has intoxicated us because of its extremes, it causes us to lose balance. That's why then the Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 1, a false balance is abomination to the Lord. If you are going to teach or do anything not in a balanced manner, the Bible says it is an abomination to God, no matter how good it is. If you say you are teaching faith, or you are applying faith, but it's not balanced, it becomes an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 20 verse 23, probably that's why in 2023 we're talking about balance. <laughs> Divers ways are an abomination unto the Lord and a false balance is not good. So the reason why there is this controversy around grace and the law, it is because we have failed to find balance. We move from one extreme to the other. Too much of the law, too much of the grace and we end up missing the truth. Are we here? So the big question now, what is the law, Mfundis? 
What is the law? Number one, it is the system of rules which a particular country or community recognizes as regulating the actions of its members and which it may enforce by the imposition of penalties. So, so in this country, there are laws that we must observe. You don't just drive on the road. There are laws to observe. And if you violate them, there are penalties. If you go over the sp- speed limit, there are penalties. Generally, that is what the law is. Right? But we need to understand that when the Bible speaks about the law, it is mainly referring to the law that was given to Moses. Right? And it is not just a commandment. It is not just the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue in Exodus 20. Because there were just over 600 laws that were given in the Old Testament to Moses. Over 600. So when the Bible says we are no longer under the law, you must not be too quick to say any kind of law. We wanted freedom in this country, but we did not want lawlessness. Okay, okay. That's why too much of democracy is not good. Because you cannot go with intando, whatever people want, let them get it. What if 90% of this country says, let us get rid of traffic laws? Then what will happen on the roads? There's a, your freedom has limitations. <laughs> you are free, you have rights in this country, but you not you don't have freedom to violate someone else's rights. <sighs> so when, when the Bible talks about the law in the Bible, it, those laws are categorized into three. Number one, it is moral law, which can never be removed. It can never, that's why the Bible says God will remain a law giver. There's moral law, there's civil law, and then there's ceremonial laws. So when the Bible says we are no longer under the law, you better know what does it talk about there. Next week I will show you how the Ten Commandments are still very much in force. Because they have to do with the morals of a Christian person. But I'm not there today. What is grace? Grace is, number one, the unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God shown to all people. Theologically speaking, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor of God shown to all people. In other words, this is something I get for free. I don't have to do anything. God decided to give it to me even if I did not want it. That's why the Bible says we did not choose him. He chose us. We did not love him. He loved us first. That is grace. Number two, grace is just simply God meeting us at our point of need in the person of Jesus Christ, including all his power and provision. Somebody defined it so beautifully and he said, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Take note that there's Christ in the equation. Because many of us, we want these riches. And when I say riches, I don't mean in monetary terms. But I simply mean the abundance of love that comes from God. The mercies of God. And all of that, that is from God, but at Christ's expense. In other words, I don't access them outside of Christ. 
For me to access them, I have to recognize the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation, where we've read John chapter number one, verse 17, defines it as God's unfailing love. So in other words, I will love you no matter what. And I will never stop loving you. You don't have to do anything for me to love you. That is God. Unconditional, unfailing love. The person translation puts it this way. It is truth wrapped in tender mercies. So God, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Right? That's the grace of God. Giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, it is God stopping himself from giving us what we deserve. So grace and mercy works hand in hand. So grace says, I am going to give you what you don't deserve. But mercy says, I am going to prevent myself from giving you what you do, what you do, what you deserve, right? Let me put it this way. Every soul that sins shall die. So by right, the minute you commit sin, you're supposed to die in that instant. But the mercy of God will give room to the grace of God. Mercy will say, let me give him time to repent. And then grace will say, even though he deserves punishment, but I want to give him an opportunity to repent so that he can get eternal life even though he does not deserve it. Are we together, Barcelona? Now, 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 now. That's why then the Bible talks about in Ephesians 4 verse 15, it says we need to speak the truth in love. So grace is the truth in love. That is the balance. Are we here? The message translation puts it so beautifully in terms of the law and the, and the, and the grace. It says, we got the basics from Moses, Jesus. So in other words, the law, in other words, according to John and according to the message translation, it is the basics. That's why the Bible says the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. In other words, the law was preparing us so that we can understand the work of the cross. So in other words, without the law and the Old Testament, we can never understand the relevance of Jesus dying on the cross. Without, without understanding what God was doing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Old Testament, we, we are going to just to simply see Jesus dying on the cross and we are not going to see any significance. It, it will take for us to understand Moses raising up the snake in the wilderness and saying to all of them, look, behold, look and be healed. It will take for us to understand the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament so that by the time Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why to Jews, it was not a mystery. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why in some other instances, they wanted to kill him for statements that don't mean anything to us. Because when he says, before Abraham was, I am. They were like, you are mad. What do you mean? And when he said he's the son of God, they said, you mean you are God? Because they had context of the law. But you know, we want to be New Testament believers. That's why Jesus has no significance in his death and his resurrection does not mean anything. We are making the grace of God to be cheap because we don't understand the background. He says, we got the basics from Moses and then this exuberant giving and receiving. The, this endless knowing and understanding, all this comes through Jesus, the Messiah. That's what the Bible says. So grace 
is God giving us an opportunity to receive from him as he gives us freely and abundantly. It's, it's, it's transactional. The, the grace of God allows us to have a transaction with God. To receive all that God is given. Now take note. Grace is not just a biblical principle or truth. But grace is the person Jesus Christ. In the same way that grace is given according to the scriptures. Romans 12 verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given. Ephesians 4 verse 7. But, but to each one of us grace was given. That's what the Bible says. But John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So in the same way that Jesus is given. So is the grace of God. Jesus is the manifold grace that was given to us. He is the grace upon grace that the more I know him, the more I get closer to him, the more I have access to the grace of God, the more I grow in the grace of God, the more I increase in the grace of God. Without him in the equation, I can never be able to even comprehend what the grace of God is because Jesus reminds me every day. That's why he even gave us the Holy Communion and he said, do this in remembrance of me why so that each time i think that i'm all that he reminds me that it is not because of anything that you have done but it is because of the gift of grace through me i died for you i suffered for you i i i was in pain for you i bled for you i was ridiculed for you so that you don't have to do to go through all of that so anything and everything that is happening in the life of jesus christ demonstrates this grace that you and i are supposed to be part of or to partake of. Forgive me, I have to wrap this up, Bazalon. So grace is a person. We cannot speak about the grace of God outside of Christ. We cannot speak about the law outside of Christ. Christ should be at the center of our discussion and talk around grace and the law. As soon as we remove Jesus from the equation, we are left with the two extremes of grace and the law. So it's time you have a discussion with anyone debating this topic of grace and truth. If they don't mention Jesus, run away. Jesus makes it very clear. In Matthew 5 verse 17, he says, do not think that I came to destroy the law. He says, I did not come to destroy it, but I came to fulfill it. He again describes himself, which is very important, as the way and the truth. The truth and the life. Why? Because he is the true freedom that comes from the truth. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Here, here is where we mess things up sometimes. Let's read the Bible. Let's study the Bible. That verse does not say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It says, the truth shall make you free. You see, in making, there's a process. In setting free, you just unlock the door for a person to walk out. But true freedom that comes from Christ works from within. He makes you. This is what he meant when he said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you, make you. There's a process for you to experience total freedom. You don't, you're not just going to come to the altar call and the door is unlocked and you walk free. He has to make you free. He has got to change your mind. He has got to change your belief system. He has got to work. Uh, you can't just say as long as I am, I have come to the altar. No, no, no. You have got to be made free. 
So he came to fulfill the law. Not, not, we, Tina, we want to destroy the law. But Jesus made it very clear. That's why I'm saying you cannot talk about the law without Jesus in the equation. Because we have to start with him saying, I did not come to destroy it, but I came to fulfill it. And we need to know what does that fulfillment talk about? Where does it go? But let's see Jesus in action. I see Jesus in action. Let me leave you with these thoughts. The first one, grace or the law without Christ lacks truth. The law without Christ produces bondage. And grace without Christ produces false freedom. And the grace without truth is meaningless. And the truth without grace is mean. Let's see Jesus in action. She finds this woman caught in an act that violated the law. She was caught in adultery. And those who were experts of the law, they pick up the stones and they say to Jesus, Jesus, she was caught in the act committing adultery. According to the law, she's supposed to be stoned to death. I don't know what Jesus wrote on the ground. But he wrote something. And by the time he stood up, they had ran away, those who wanted to stone her. Probably he wrote, Sarah, Zodwa, Spongile. In other words, even you. If we stone her, we must stone you as well. And they ran away because, take note, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation, right? Let me start with this scripture. It says, Jesus did not come to condemn us. Right? And then the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But here's where we are silly. We read that scripture up to there. The Bible says, number one, there is therefore now no condemnation, number one, for those who are in Christ. Number two, those who are not walking according to the flesh, but walking according to the spirit. If you are not walking according to the spirit, you will be condemned. The voice of Satan will be louder. He will be condemning you every day. Right? But Jesus therefore says, where are those who wanted to condemn you? This woman says, I don't know. Jesus says, I also don't condemn you. That's grace. So I don't condemn you. I have an opportunity now, according to the law, to stone you to death. But guess what? I don't condemn you. But he does not stop there. See, and the Lord said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's truth. I give you grace. Jesus came, the Bible says, full of grace and truth. I'm going to show you grace, but not at the expense of truth. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, John 5 verse 14. After what Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, this is the man who did not have anyone to throw into the pool, right? See, you have been made well. That's grace. Sin no more. Lest a worse thing come to you. That's truth. I don't want to leave you with grace. And you don't know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, as graced as you are, 
you will be faced with something worse than what you are experiencing now. That's where the balance is. That's why I say if we remove Christ from this debate, we are going to mess it. Because Jesus did not just go around giving people grace, 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 grace. He did not give, go around condemning people, telling them about them repenting only and whatever. But he gave them grace. He gave them healing. He blessed them. Even before they were saved, he prayed for them. There was, there, there, there's another woman who was told that healing is, is bread that belongs to the children of God. But yet he went ahead and healed her. But always he told them after healing them, go and sin no more. So true grace is to be free from sin but not to be free to sin. Let's stand on our feet. As soon as you think of grace and you think it is God allowing you forgiving you every day and allowing you to go back to your sins. That's not true grace. That's false liberty. That's false freedom. The Bible tells us that grace teaches us to go away from evil things, sinful things. As as a matter of fact, the more you recognize the grace of God, the more unworthy you feel and the more grateful you become. That's why when Jesus performed a miracle for the disciples in the boat, Peter said, move away from me. Why? Because I am undone, I am unclean. I am a man of unclean lips. Why? Because he said, I doubted you. When you said, throw the net, I doubted you, but yet you multiplied this fish. While I was still a sinner, you showed me grace. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Even when Peter denied him three times before the cock crowed, before the cock crowed, at his resurrection, what does he say? Go and tell my disciples that I am risen, especially Peter. Because where he is, he feels condemned because he denied me. That's why I always say that if Judas was alive, he was going to say, especially Peter and Judas. And unfortunately, he killed himself. Let me tell you, Bazelon, the grace of God is sufficient for each and every one of us. But the grace of God is for us to experience true freedom. Liberty. That is from God. And the kind of freedom that God gives, it is governed by theocracy. What he says and what he demands goes, not what we demand. So the grace of God takes us from that place of living as we pleased. But God putting boundaries in our lives to say your freedom is within these boundaries. You are free, but within these boundaries. Not free to go back and do as you please but to recognize the grace that was at work in your life. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you once again for listening to the message today. We trust that you were blessed by it. Please do subscribe to our podcast to receive new messages every week. Thank you very much and keep on building.